Amen. Hey, Kevin, thank you very much. And Greg and worship team, thank you. And thank you for singing. Merry Christmas to you guys. All right. Some of you are into it and some of you aren't yet. It is Christmas season, by the way, um, which is very exciting, right? Does everyone have their tree up already? All right. Some of you either don't like to raise your hands, aren't awake yet, or are still hoping that Christmas somehow doesn't roll around for you this year. Well, let me, let me put it to you this way. I'm going to ask for your, um, your best imagination with me for a minute, okay? I want you to imagine, to get in your mind's eye, that you are sitting in a living room or a family room with a family that looks nothing like your own, about to open Christmas gifts with the extended family, not your little family, but the extended family, okay? And so you actually, you, you play a role here. You are omniscient, believe it or not, so you know everything that's going on. You can read everybody's mind, and you can read their heart. You're kind of floating in this space, but you can see everybody, and you can read all the thoughts that go through their mind before they are filtered. Very important part of this little story. Can you do that for me? We can do that? All right, let's give that a run. So imagine this is going to happen. We finally sit down. We open Christmas presents as an extended family, and little Johnny opens up um, a remote control car, let's say. All right, so little Johnny opens it up. He's so excited, but of course he has to wait his turn to really get it open and going because everybody else around the room has to open their gifts as well, right? But little Johnny can't help himself, but, but mom says, Johnny, just wait. Just wait until everybody around the room goes before you open, you know, your, your remote control car. So we go around the room, you know, over to here to Aunt Susie and over there to Uncle Larry, whatever. We move around the room, but... If you're paying attention, you see that Johnny can't keep it together, and so he starts opening the remote control car. He opens it up, and he gets it out, and he actually gets it going. Believe it or not, he somehow can get all the twisties off of that thing, which if a parent, you know that they are now almost humanly impossible to get off by, by yourself, right? He gets them all off, gets batteries in that thing, and he gets little, the little remote control car going. Well, he gets it going, and it goes across the room right as your large cousin is about to get his gifts from under the tree, and he accidentally steps on the little remote control car. I felt the compassion in the room already. Some of you are really there. I mean, you I feel that, that collective, oh, that's sad. We've totally made this story up, right? This is not a real thing. Okay, so anyway, so little Johnny's remote control car is now dead. Now, read the room with me for a minute, all right? Read the room. So we have little Johnny clearly is devastated because he was on the mountain high and now he's in a valley low. Tears are starting to come. Meanwhile, what are his siblings thinking? They're laughing, aren't they? That's right. They're like, serves you right, little buddy. They're not saying it yet, but some of them are trying to keep their laughter to themselves, but they don't feel the, the hurt that Johnny does. They're like, oh, they're laughing. Around the room, you might also know, because you're very perceptive, you can read everybody's mind, you might also know that grandma over there is like, see, that kid never obeys his parents. They didn't raise him right. The aunt may be in the corner over there saying, oh, yeah, you know what? He didn't need one more toy anyway. I mean, good grief. This family has so much. He's spoiled anyway. And look at that. He can't even listen to his parents. Unbelievable. And maybe little Johnny is crying. And maybe hopefully, hopefully there's somebody in the room, maybe a parent, who says in their heart and ultimately says and comes to the aid of little Johnny, even in his disobedience, to comfort him and to try to restore some hope to him and says, it'll be okay, little buddy, it'll be okay. But you see all of this happening in the room just like that. Can you picture that? Because here's what I want you to picture, that life is just like that. That's a microcosm of all the little things that we often break and run into in all of our lives. Our relationships are like that sometimes, aren't they? 
We start a new relationship or end an old one to chase a new one, and it was broken. And sometimes people in our extended family, our friends, our peers, some of them are sitting there quietly judging you. Yeah, there's a reason why they broke up, because she's so judgmental. Yeah, there's a reason that happened, because they didn't, they as a couple, they never prayed together nearly enough, did they? No. Others come to your support and will text you and come around you and put their arm around you when you're crying because it's broken. You're sad, but other people in your room are a mixture of judgment and support. It happens when you lose a job or don't get the promotion and someone else gets it. Well, there's a reason why your parents may think you don't deserve that because you never got up early enough to get to work consistently. You were late, you deserve that. They don't tell you that, but you're late, you deserve that. You never quite did what you needed to do and others will come alongside you. Say, hey, I, I get it, I get it. And our rooms are full of people who are in them, who are both a mixture of support and caring and judgment and not caring. And that's the world that I live in, and maybe that's the world that you live in. It is also the world that we live in when we try to engage faith and try to engage God. That when I fail spiritually, when I sin, particularly if it's a bigger, more obvious sin, it's an invitation for all the people who are in my room to either support me or judge me. And you may have felt that or you may have seen that. But it happens spiritually as much as it happens in every other part of our life. And as a church, here's the ironic thing as a church. As a church, the church is described as a family. The family of God. And of all the things that the church can and should be, can you imagine if the church were known in our community as a church full of compassionate, restorative parents, rather than a church that had some judgmental relatives in it. Can you imagine what that would be like? Because when Paul, an early follower of Jesus, was trying to give some direction to the early church and help them understand how do you engage with one another now, what he had been talking about and he'd been chipping away at is that we should not judge one another by the law anymore. This is what he'd been working on for a long time in this letter that we're looking at in our series called Free From That. He's been chipping away at the law saying, friends, do not judge one another anymore on the basis of the law and what people do and don't do. It's not healthy. It destroys relationships, and it is not the basis of our relationship with God. And so instead of law, let me encourage you to love one another. Well, that's really squishy and big. But what he does today is he pushes further into this idea of what it looks like for a community to love one another in its earliest form. And here's what I'm going to argue that Paul has to say for us, and you can be the judge of this, that the church should look more like the parent who restores than the others who judge the church should look like the parent who restores rather than the others who judge. And now you get to judge whether you think this is true. I want to invite you to turn in your Bible if you have one with you. Or if you don't, there's one in the chair near you. That's our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, it's no problem at all. To the little letter of Galatians, Paul, who's an early follower of Christ, wrote this. We're in Galatians chapter 6 this morning. Galatians chapter 6, um, is in, it's going to be in the right two-thirds of your Bible. If you don't have one right on you, you can put, pull it up on your phone. I recommend you version if you need a Bible app. But Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, is where we're going to be here this morning. 
Um, and Paul is really giving some direction to the early church, trying to set a culture, set a tone for how this community should feel, how they should function, how they should actually, where does the rubber meet the road when it comes to what does love look like? Because he had chipped away so hard at the law and tried to replace it with love, the question is, what does it now really look like to do this? And he hits hard on this idea of restoration. And I want to look at it with you here, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to pause it there, although we're going to continue in just a few minutes in the verses that come. So here's the deal. Here's the condition. Someone who's caught in a sin. All right, let's pause that there for a second. You know how vulnerable a position this is, right? You ever been caught in a sin? You ever been caught in something? You know, you can imagine if you haven't, but you can imagine what it feels like to be the young pregnant girl who gets pregnant out of wedlock and who's, who's young and, and is, you know, in a situation where all of a sudden there are people looking at you, right? You can imagine what it would feel like to, to be one in a community where you get a divorce, but it feels like the people around you aren't, and you feel the weight of that judgment. You ever feel that, that weight of maybe you've, <laughs> you've said, you've worn, you've consumed, <laughs> The things that other people in this community are simply not wearing, consuming, or engaging in. And all of a sudden, you feel on the outside, you feel caught. This is a vulnerable spot to be in. What do, what do we do as a church right now with things like that? And what do we do with people like that? What do we do with people who don't maybe fit the mold or in moments where they kind of you know, go against what our, our cultural norms might be? Here's what we see. For the, the, big, the big time, we... we promote their sin and failure. Like there's names that we know of people who have failed and we see them splashed across our news feed all the time, right? And in a way, when we look at that, we, we both take a lesson from it, feel sad, but also in some ways can feel justified that thankfully we are not like them. And privately, privately, internally, here's some other things that we do. When I see that, again, a relationship has fallen apart, I can look at that, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but I can look at that pretty quickly and say, well, there's a reason. There's a reason that they split up, right? There's a reason. Again, if only they were more godly, if only they were more spiritual, you know, he was, he was always running off doing this thing, and I think they even watched our movies together sometimes, and we know what lead, where that leads to, right? And we, we begin to judge privately, even though we don't say it explicitly, I can judge privately when people fail. And then, consequently, I also feel a little bit superior because I haven't fallen into that, which tells me that the law is the basis of my value, not love. And so Paul begins with those who are caught in a sin in a vulnerable position. He says, what should we do with them? <laughs> he says, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Here's this word for restore. I want to talk about this this morning. Here's what this word restore means. To make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. It's to take what was broken and restore it to full usefulness. And here's what he's saying the church should be like. That when, when there are these moments where people are caught in sin, we should restore. And let me say this before I go much further. I think what Paul is speaking to here is an orientation of the church, not just when something big and bad goes wrong. 
Meaning, I don't want you to sit here and I don't want to communicate that somehow what Paul is speaking about is only for those who really blow it big time. Like there's four or five big things that we all should avoid. But otherwise, like hopefully I don't get caught in a sin. The lesson for this morning isn't don't get caught in a sin. Good grief. That's nothing like what I'm talking about. Paul is speaking to the orientation. How is the church, you know, oriented toward sin and failure? Are we oriented toward judging? Or are we oriented toward restoration? And so he says, restore. Restore completely. Now this, if you get into the details of this, right, this gets messy quickly. What does this mean to restore? Because there are some people who fail and shouldn't be restored to positions of authority that they had, right? There's sometimes, there might even be relationships that you're in where you have come off of the heels of a, an abusive relationship, emotionally, physically, sexually, something else. What does it mean to restore in that situation? That is tricky. It's hard. The devil is in the details, so to speak. We had one of our former presidents, Abraham Lincoln, was tasked with an incredible job of restoring, if you will, our country post-Civil War. There was great debate about what that should look like. And he created a framework for restoration where only required only maybe 10% vote of those in the South who'd agree to rejoin the Union, so to speak, and then they get federal funds. And people thought, that's way too generous. <laughs> It needs to be much higher than that. He made a decree that only the generals in the army would be held liable for their, um, you know, for what they did. And, and the foot soldiers would be able to retain their property and be restored to full usefulness. And people push back on that. The devil's in the details on what restoration means. I don't want you to get lost in all of that. What I want you to be able to see is that Paul's orientation is when the church encounters people who have fallen, who have made a mistake, who have sinned, who have blown it, who have done something they shouldn't have done. Their first orientation is to restore. That's the first thought. My first thought is to replace, if you will, a judgment with restoration. Now, let me ask you this question. If you're not sure what happens in this space, because one of the things that happens in this space for me is um, I have, and maybe you have, an incredible amount of quick judgment. Sometimes I'm like the adults in the room at that Christmas um, opening uh, scene that I presented at the beginning. I can quickly judge, and sometimes I'm right, and a lot of times I'm wrong. If you're not sure the, the culture of a church right now, let me ask you this question. How comfortable would you be right now confessing your sin to the church right now? How comfortable would you be confessing even to a small group where you have failed and where you have sinned even this week? How comfortable would you feel in that space? And if the answer is, please don't call on me right now, then let me put to you that perhaps the church has taken on or allowed a judgment culture more than a restoration culture. Perhaps. Because that's what's at war in the church. And that's what's at war in my heart. Is the fight between judging and critiquing, and assessing, and restoring, and love, and hopefulness. That's what's at stake. So Paul says, here's what you should do, friends. Here's what you should do, verse 2. At the end of verse 1, excuse me. He says, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. As you restore, how do I do that? Watch yourself. I don't think Paul just means, and we'll get into this more in verse 3. I don't think he just means, for example, if someone is, uh, you, you name it, pick a sin. If someone is is drunk all the time. I don't think he's just saying, be careful not to take a drink with them or be careful that you never take a drink because you might turn into a drunk. I don't think he's saying that as much as he's saying, be careful 
so that you aren't tempted, I'm going to fill this in and you can check it later, that you aren't tempted to believe that you're somehow better than them because you're not fallen in that category. That's what I think he's saying. Be careful that you're not tempted, and I'm filling in the blank, to believe more of yourself than you should be. So watch yourself, he says. Watch yourself, and then verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and this way you fulfill the law of Christ. So how does the church restore? Two ways. One, watch yourself, check your heart, that I'm not better than you, and secondly, I'm going to carry your burden with you. You're walking through that early pregnancy, I'm with you. You're walking through that divorce, I'm with you. You're walking through a struggle with pornography, I'm with you. You're walking through an addiction, I'm with you. You're walking through any kind of struggle with your family or abusive situation, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. We're carrying your burden with you. I'm carrying. I'm not judging that burden. I'm carrying with you. I'm working with you. And I'm watching my attitude in the process so that we are a church and we are a people who restores. We have that restored to full usefulness kind of thing. All right? Now, now let me go on, let me go on and go into the, what Paul says next in verse 3. All right, here we go. He says this, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. And this is why I think when he says, watch yourself, that he actually means be careful about how you are looking at yourself. If anyone thinks they are something, because I think I'm something, listen, if you fail, and I don't struggle with what you struggle with, it makes me feel better that I don't struggle with that, right? I mean, you ever, ever relate to that? Oh, well, that's too bad for them. Man, that's hard. But I'm glad I don't wrestle with that. They deceive themselves. It's like you're, just, you're, you're, you're making a reality that isn't really true. Each one, he said, should test their own actions. And then they can take pride in themselves alone without, and here's the key, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each should carry their own load. So my... The way that I walk in community with you is not by comparing my relative morality to yours. It's a value is found in the relativeness of it. Hey, as, lo as long as I don't listen to, to this and I don't consume that and don't engage that, then I'm, I'm better, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't do the things that you do. So relatively speaking, I have greater value. And he said, this isn't where value comes from. This is not where it comes from. And he goes on and he says in verse 5, each one should carry their own load, which sounds funny because he just said, carry each other's burdens. What do you make of that? Carry each other's burdens. Oh, by the way, carry your own load. And the guy in the back raises his hand. He's like, man, I got a question. What do you mean? All right. So here's the deal. There's actually two different words that are used here. And this word is like, carry your load. This is kind of like, if you can imagine, this word is used to describe in this period of time, a soldier's like backpack. All right, so a pack that a soldier would carry into battle would be adequate for him. He's got to carry something into the battle. And that's what he's saying, that even in community, there's a responsibility I have to you. I was talking with um, our staff this week about this message, and I heard a great story from Katie Byler. Katie, a couple of years ago, took um, a hiking trip with some friends. And they, uh, there were several of them, um, and she'd tell the story better if she was standing up here, but there were several of them. They each had their own backpacks. They got separated after uh, maybe a day, and they didn't reconvene, which was a bummer because they shared their supplies together. And so they were each carrying a load for the community. Some were carrying the backpacks, and some were, uh, excuse me, the sleeping bags, and some were carrying the tents and all that, and some the, the pots and all that. But they got separated, and so they didn't have each other's burdens, which was a problem. At the same time, they did have in their own pack their own socks, right? I mean, their own shoes, their, their own pants. Like, they had their own stuff. And this is, in a way, what Paul is saying, that, friends, as you walk into community, put on a backpack that you can carry. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to carry something into the relationships that I have with you and you with me. 
And what is in that pack? What's in that pack is this idea that I better not deceive myself to think that I'm something that I'm not. That is, friends, the fundamental responsibility that you have and I have individually as a member of the body of Christ is to walk into a community with you with my backpack on that says, I am not going to deceive myself to say that just because you're divorced, I'm better than you. Just because you've had an abortion, I'm better than you. Just because you struggle with addiction, I'm better than you. Because you struggle over here, I'm better than you. I haven't struggled with, you name it, I haven't struggled with those, therefore I'm better. And Paul says, whoa, this is where judgment and support are going to fight each other. Get on your backpack and put it in there, put it in there and get into that community with that mentality of I am not superior to you because I don't struggle with the same issues you have. I cannot restore you and you cannot restore me if we're also judging. It's not possible. And so he says, put on the backpack and the backpack is carry your own load. Your load and my load is don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive to think that somehow I'm, I'm better than you because I don't struggle. I'm not going to fall into the same things that you're falling into. Now that all has a consequence, and you've seen this. That he's talking about the internal part of our heart, and that internal part of our heart has real-life consequences out into the world. Look at verse 7. He says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What's he saying with this? Here's how I understand this. He's saying, again, look at verse 8 with me. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. When you are in that room and you imagine with me at the beginning of this message, you're hovering over this room, you're, you can see it all, you can feel it all, and you see the relative that judges the disobedience of the child. Let me ask you, in your mind, if you will, those who judge in the room, do they have a closer or farther relationship with that child and with the parent? You don't have to answer that right now. Those who judge, would you say that their relationship generally is close and intimate or further and distant? Because it's impossible in my world to see people who judge by default not also destroy relationships. For those, and it doesn't need to be spoken. And you may see this in your own families or in your own school in your own places of employment, the people who are, are most critical of and who think more highly of themselves then tend to destroy relationships and hurt people. Judgment doesn't restore, it hurts. And those who sow, he says, according to their flesh, will reap destruction. Destruction of all kinds of things, of relationship with God, relationship with one another, relationships you know, with, with the world around us, with the people that we love and care for. But, he says, those who sow, if you will, according to the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. That all of a sudden, if I walk by the Spirit, instead of judging you, I'm going to restore you, I'm going to reap the benefits of eternal life here, and now I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to carry your load as I put my backpack on and walk into this community with you. It's, it's an amazing concept. And therefore, he says, in verse 10, 
in case we're confused and we don't know what to do, it's really simple as he tries to set up what the early church would look like. Verse 10. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. In case we don't know what to do, in case you're confused about how to react, in case you're not sure if you're going to um, you know, condone behavior by being supportive of people, Maybe you're going to condone things that you don't want to condone, and so you want to keep a distance so everybody knows that you're still standing on the right moral ground. Maybe that's where you want to be. He says, listen, in case you're confused about how to navigate all of these hard things, let's just make this clear. As you have opportunity, what you do, let it be good. Let it be good to all people, especially to those, he says, who belong to the family of believers. It's interesting, isn't it? Why? So that, and here's what I believe, because how the family of believers interacts with one another is what those outside of faith see about who Christ is. Because Christ himself came, died on the cross for me to restore me to relationship with God and restore you to relationship with God, that extends out to how the family of believers should react and interact with one another and with our, with our world. And so may the, may the family of God, may the church, and this is why I'm going to ask you, and can you imagine this? Can you imagine if the church were the space where our world looked at and said, I don't know what it looks like to feel accepted for all of my junk. I don't know what it feels like to be, you know, when I opened that toy and I shouldn't have, then it ran across the, the living room floor and my big cousin stepped on it. But my mom, she came over and she cared for me. She put her arm around me and she said, it's going to be okay. We're going to figure this out and we're going to take care of it. She carried my burden. That's what the church is like. That's exactly what the church is like. Some people judge that and said that I shouldn't have been so disobedient. I was a spoiled kid and my parents had too much money anyway and they didn't know what to do with it and they're giving me one more thing and I don't need that. But I've never experienced that in the church. I've experienced that at other places, but not in the church because this is what Paul's ideal and vision was, that the church, the people of God, would be people who were not stained anymore by the law, by the rules that stand between us, by breaking the laws that we have for one another, but are guided by love that moves us to restore, not to judge. These things battle in my mind, and I don't know if they battle in yours. They battle constantly in me. And maybe they battle in you too. So I want to ask you two questions to wrap it up. Number one, who am I more like, a restorative parent or a judgmental relative? Who am I more like in the relationships around me right now, a restorative parent or a judgmental relative? Think about your children, what they've done wrong. Think about your parents and what they've done wrong. Think about your teachers at school, the administration at school, and what you think they're doing wrong. Think about your boss and where he's really blown it and doesn't understand you. And think about your employees who don't really understand the big picture of the company and where they're going off. Maybe people around you here in the church or maybe in your own family. People who aren't holding up their end of the moral deal that we think we all share with one another, you know. Who am I more like? Who am I more like? This is not who other people are like. I'm just asking you, who am I more like, right, personally? What kind of pack, if you will, am I putting on and carrying? What's in my pack? Because what Paul said, and I want to tell you this, if you don't know this, Paul wrote another time in his life. This is so amazing to me. I mean, Paul, if you don't know this, Paul wrote like a, a bunch of the New Testament, a bunch of the New Testament. An incredible man, um, great leader, and really flawed. But here's what he said. 
He said, he considered himself, and he wrote this in his own words. He said, I'm, a, I'm the chief of sinners. He's like, I'm the chief of sinners. Are you, you line it up, and whatever you think a sinner is, he's like, put me above that. Put me ab- above that. Whatever you think the worst thing is that people have done, and again, you, you name it. I'm not going to fill it all in. But of all the things, and people have done some really bad things, horrendous things that have destroyed relationships, hurt people, hurt themselves, hurt the world. Paul just says, I... I'm the chief of sinners. That to me, friends, that to me is the backpack that Paul put on. And that's what I'd encourage you to put on. I, I'm, the, I'm the chief of sinners. Yeah, yeah, that person, yep, yep, she got pregnant out of wedlock, yeah. But I'm the chief of sinners. Yeah, he's, he's struggling with what he's watching. Yeah, he's, he's addicted to that. You know what, she is lazy, to be honest with you. That's why she did get fired. But I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. That's my backpack. That's my load to carry. Everyone carry their own load. I'm the chief of sinners here. And that's what Paul encourages the church, so that we fight that judgment with restoration. So let me ask you that question. Who am I more like in the relationships with people around me, a restorative parent or a judgmental relative? Last question is this. Do I have, do I have a group like this? The this is full of restorative parents. Can you imagine having a group of people around you where you didn't feel afraid to confess to? Because what do we do with our sin right now? Let's be honest. You don't need to say this out loud. What do we do with our sin? We hide it, right? We hide it. I'm not going to let you know how much I've really struggled with things. You're not going to let me know how much you really struggle with things. You want to put on a good face. We're going to hide it. Why? Because I'm afraid. What am I afraid of? I'm afraid of your judgment. But can you imagine having a group of people who you had confidence and freedom to share with? Is it a pipe dream? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Because this is the vision of the early church. And Paul was encouraging this deeply. Church, especially in the family of believers. Restore one another gently. Let that be your orientation. Watch yourself, but then carry each other's burdens. So one of the things we're doing here at GPC, and you may or may not know this, is we're, we're giving this another run. We're giving this a relaunch. We're going to be launching again an initiative in the new year to begin what we call here grace groups. Smaller groups of people who have the opportunity to connect with one another. And if you didn't know that, I wanted to tell you that. Some of you have been asking and wondering, how do I get connected? What does that mean? What does it look like to get a little bit further involved with the people here at GPC? This is one way. It's not the only way, but it is a way. It's one of the ways that we can at least put out to you to give you a chance to get connected to groups that maybe can represent Something like this. A space where you can more personally learn to share and trust and grow in relationship with one another. You can find, hopefully, restorative parents, not judgmental relatives in that space. And maybe you can be one of those restorative parents and not judgmental relatives in that space. And so I want to encourage you, even this morning, I'm going to wrap up here in just a second. But we do have a communication card or connection card that we have, and and Greg will walk you through that in a second. But if you have an interest in knowing more about how to get connected to a grace group, just write grace group on that line. Or if you're feeling funny, write 
judgmental relative on that line. Whatever you would prefer. Both will communicate to us this morning. But just write Grace Group in there, and we'll be sure to connect with you and give you information about how to get connected, how to learn more about it. And then you can decide. You're not signing up to commit to anything. You're signing up for information about, okay, just to be clear. Grace Group, that will help you know what's up in that space, all right? So friends, let me encourage you. Keep that picture of the church of what it could be, what it could be. And can you imagine what it would be like in our communities and in your schools and in your workplaces and in your families? If people looked around and said, oh, the church, I love it. I love it. I love the church because they are so non-judgmental. They are so not hypocritical because they restore people. They see the sin, but man, they carry each other's burdens so well. It's awesome. That's the vision of the early church. That's the vision that Paul cast forward, that when you see that family gathered around you, they are full of restorative parents, not judgmental relatives. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to be here this morning and to reflect again on your word. And I pray that you would help these words that are easy to hear, just hard to apply. I pray that you'd help drive them far into our hearts, that we would carry our own pack, first of all, I pray that you'd help us take up the responsibility to put on our, our pack where we are not going to presume that I'm better than someone else because I haven't fallen or failed like they have. Oh, God, I pray that you would help us in that space to remember that even Paul himself said, I'm a chief of sinners. Humble us that we wouldn't think too highly of ourselves than we ought so that we have capacity to restore and love and be oriented towards support not oriented toward judgment. And I pray that you would grow us as a church and grow us as individuals to be just full of restorative parents in this community and in this space here so that that message of the hope of Christ is real and lived out in the day-to-day -day for the people around us. And so carry us forward with this vision of what can be and what should be in the life of the church and help us to restore one another when we fail, which we will. So we love you. We thank you for the time we can share together. In Jesus' name we pray.